Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. One thing about when you're managing multi-location uh, operations, whether you're in restaurants or they're medical, banking, legal, you know, chiropractic, gyms, it doesn't matter, um, is that very often when you're delivering services at the location level, um, that there isn't just one lever you can pull to increase sales, right? Uh, to make customers happier, to uh, increase profitability. Oftentimes, it's not one lever, it's 30,000 little levers that all have to be pulled. Not, none of them are going to sink you, but if enough of those levers aren't pulled correctly, your customers will have a bad experience with your business, your customer satisfaction will be down, and your sales and profits will follow. And that's what we do at Ops Analytica. We help you manage pulling all 30,000 little levers right in the right order. And, uh, and then at the same time, we're providing you with data, amazing visibility into uh, what levers aren't getting pulled, where you have issues, so you can figure out what the heck's going on and fix them. And then you move on. And then every time you correct an issue, you make your employees happier, you make it your, their jobs easier, you make your customers happier, and your sales and profits will follow. Check us out at OpsAnalytica.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Order Up Show podcast. Uh, I am very excited today to welcome Caritas Chincholo from, uh, to the show today. How are you doing, Caritas? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing, Tommy? I'm doing wonderful, sir. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today. Uh, we're super excited to uh, talk to you. Um, so, Caritas, as I mentioned to you in the pre-show, we ask the same five questions of all of our guests. And uh, I really want to get to that first question. It's my favorite question, which is, explain to me what you do today, and then talk, take me through your career progression from your first job to how you got there. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for the invite, Tommy. Really appreciate the opportunity. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm Caritas Chincholo. I'm the CEO and uh, co-founder of Kula. Um, got an interesting background. I grew up, I'm from South Africa, based in South Africa. Um, grew up in a township in South Africa um, and went on to study at the University of Cape Town, which is where I did an actuarial science degree. That's where I met my co-founder. Uh, we actually started our first business during that period. And post that, as that business grew, it got more legs. We wanted to, to do something more impactful. We wanted to do something that would really leave a dent um, in the way that the world works, in the way that the food industry works. Um, and at the time, we were not sure exactly what that thing was going to be. And my business partner had the opportunity to take a trip to Israel um, and he just came back raving about all the agricultural innovation that he had seen that side. And when he came back, we started exploring locally, just looking at, you know, the experience of um, emerging farmers. And we were quite shocked at how difficult it was for them to sell their produce to formal market buyers, which includes restaurants, which includes supermarkets. And then we started sort of crafting, you know, a solution for that. So we're not your conventional guys from the food industry. We actually started from the financial industry and we then began solutioning. And coming in, I think that was probably our biggest strength, the fact that we were not incumbents, that we came in you know, looking at the industry from an outside view and we could pick up a lot of what was not working as it should, of where some of the value was lost and where some of the uh, inefficiencies were. And the idea was to really spend time 
and listen to these farmers and listen to the buyers. And then we began building the solution that is cooler. And in building the solution, initially we'll focus on market access. But over time, we quickly picked up that it's very hard to segregate the industry because it's so interconnected. And we now have what we call the cooler ecosystem, which is essentially three platforms that work together. The one platform that we just launched now is our input marketplace. Uh, which is our inputs app, which is available on all the different app stores, which essentially allows farmers to buy various inputs for their, for their farms so that they have top quality food that they can supply into the formal market. So my career progression um, has gone from, you know, being an entrepreneur, being in the financial industry, venturing into entrepreneurship, and I've now found myself in what is an exciting uh, food industry. Okay, so let's break down. You have three platforms for uh, Kula. So take us through each platform. You started with the first one, the inputs, meaning that's your fertilizer, that's supplies, right, for, um, you know, whatever, farming supplies, right, and equipment, I would assume, to some extent. Yeah, exactly. So the way to think about it, you know, is that we want to put the farmer in a position where all they, all they, all they have to worry about is the quality of the produce, right? So the first mm -hmm. stop is the input marketplace. So from the soil, a farmer can order a, a test kit for their soil um, on the system and get an analysis um, for their soil on the system from the seed that they put into the ground. They can order the seed that they need um, on the on the inputs marketplace um, to the fertilizer, to the chemicals. Um, so the input marketplace is really the starting point, which allows you know farmers to directly access suppliers. At this stage, we in South Africa, we have um, about 132 depots scattered across the country in all the agricultural regions. We also have about 186 crop advisors. These are technical experts that farmers can request that can come directly on farm. We allow any farmer anywhere in the country to order directly from these major suppliers and whatever inputs they want can be delivered straight to their farm. If the order quantity is low, they can pick up the entire basket from one single depot. So essentially, I'm adding value to that farmer. Currently, the way it works for me is that a farmer actually has to go through huge hassle. They have to drive 10 kilometers to go find the chemical guy, 20 kilometers to the machinery guy, you know, uh, 30 kilometers to, to another guy. The, it, there's no aggregation in terms of how they gain access. So in the inputs marketplace, it's two main things. They're able to get the products through our network, but also in agriculture, you don't just buy the same way, you know, you buy your, your bread from the supermarket. It's driven a lot by advisory. So we allow farmers to also access services. So if they want a spray program, if they want technical advisory, if they want advisory for how to become certified, to get global gap certification and so forth, they can get those advisors on the system. So they can get both services and they can get product. That's the first stop. That's the product that we're super excited about, the product that we just released that we're rolling out now. The second one, Tommy, is the fresh produce marketplace because now we've empowered the farmer to plant the right way, plant the right registered products, get the right technical services. Now the farmer actually needs to sell his products. But remember, because of food safety regulation, not every farmer can supply into the formal market. Now you can sure. imagine the disaster that can happen if a farmer supplies doesn't follow the right practices, and then someone eats that food. Because we're in yeah. the food industry, we carry a lot of responsibility to ensure that the food that is supplied is in good order 
and that we don't make the end user sick at the end of the day. So yeah. farmers can access our fresh produce marketplace. These are farmers that meet the industry standards. You know, if, if you eat a, a banana from the supermarket today and it gives you diarrhea for a week, you know, you're hmm. going to be excited just because it came from an emerging farmer. You know, so we, we, have, we, have, we have stringent requirements there where we essentially once the farmer has met those requirements, which is basically global gap certification, local gap certification, farming for the future certification, depending on, on the individual supplier, then they get access to our fresh produce marketplace. Essentially here, they can access various buyers, so multiple buyers, um, and they can basically advertise, list the products that they have, and the buyers can also bid for their products. Now, important to note is that Kula is not a middleman. So we don't sit between the farmer and the buyer and negotiate in between. We allow the farmer to engage directly with the buyer discover price together with the buyer, compare the different prices from the different buyers. We also gather market data to inform both buyer and farmer in the decision of what price they want to set, right? And one of the big things, Tommy, is the issue of trust. You know, in a first-time trade, um, how does the farmer trust that this first-time buyer is actually going to pay me? You know, we've sure. got a really cool system that we've been working on, which uh, kind of deals with the trust problem um, using an escrow-like solution where the farmer can be certain that this buyer actually has the money, the money has been set aside uh, for me as the farmer, and I'll be able to get the money at the end of the day. So on the fresh produce side, we link the farmer directly with, with markets, right? So we've started from the production, now we've gone into markets. Now in an environment like South Africa, you know, it's a, you have a lot of first generation farmers, and I think there's a lot of that even across the world where you have a lot of um, funding that's being directed to farmers that are farming for the first time or that are starting out. But often this funding doesn't necessarily get to the right farmers because sure. the, the guys that have the funding, they sit in nice air-conditioned high-rise <laughs> buildings. But yeah. the farmers that meet the requirements, they are in the outskirts, you know, they are in rural areas. But because we have these guys buying from us, because we have these guys selling on our platform, we've got a very rich database. And we use this database on our funded dashboard, which is the third platform. And essentially here, we allow funders to do three things. Number one, they find farmers that meet their mandate. So if you have a mandate to fund a farmer that's doing apples and is doing over $2 million, maybe $500,000 um, in revenue, the system is able to filter farmers that meet that criteria, and you can be able to engage with them um, directly, or you can also use the system to target certain farmers that, that meet your particular criteria if they are looking for funding. Secondly, on the funder dashboard, we allow them to fund these farmers. So in the actual disbursement, a lot often happens between the funding, which is what the farmer sometimes would ask for and what they actually spend the money on, which is a big problem. Where you find that funders uh, disperse a lot of money, but there's no accountability in terms of where the money was actually spent. It ends up being spent on different things. So we've got a voucher system where when the farmer applies to the funder and says, look, I need um, X amount for me to be able to buy chemicals. Through our system, the funder can allocate X amount for chemicals, meaning that the farmer can redeem chemicals on our input marketplace um, for that voucher which was allocated by the funder, right? Which then helps you know, the accountability problem in terms of what were the funds actually spent on. The last element is tracking, also allowing these funders and partners essentially to track how well their farmers are doing. So if, you're, if the farmers that you are supporting are already in our fresh produce marketplace, 
then you'll be able to track how well they're doing, track what they're buying, and which would allow you to better support them and see the gaps that they may have. So in a nutshell, Kula is an ecosystem. And the first stop and the thing we're very excited about that we're driving now is really our input marketplace. The second, which is in pilot and coming out soon, is our fresh produce marketplace. The third is the funded dashboard, which is also currently live as well. So that's Kula. It's a bit of a mouthful, but the best way to think about it, we're putting the farmer in a position where all they really have to worry about is the quality of what they plant. They don't need to worry about the inputs, the technical advisory, the markets, and to a certain degree, we want to come in and assist with the funding as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because you, I, I'm just thinking of that last portal, uh, the funding portal. You know, you don't, you have all this government money, and because, it, or you know, uh, charity, uh, whatever, whatever you would call that, organizational money, and you know, the guys that are dispersing that money, they, you know they want to make sure that it's getting spent right. You don't want to like give a guy a half a million dollars to buy some tractors and you find out that he's got a really nice swimming pool all of a sudden, you know, and like two <laughs> small tractors. And uh, so that makes yeah. a lot of sense because a lot of that stuff, it's just an accountability nightmare for the people that are dispersing those funds because it's a lot of paperwork. They have to account for how do we spend this money? And so you're providing that platform. I would assume that you are charging a subscription to be on these platforms, a flat fee, or are you making your money on the on the inputs market? Now, here's the thing, Tommy. So we have a principle, right? We don't believe, we, we believe in charging for value, right? So we don't charge a farmer to be on our input marketplace. We don't charge a farmer to be on our fresh produce marketplace. We don't charge also um, on the funder dashboard, a funder or a partner to be on there. We only charge once we have done the thing that we've promised to do. So we don't believe in a subscription. We don't believe in a flat fee. So right. on, our, on our input marketplace, what we would do is that we go out and we engage these suppliers. So we have all the big international brands you can think of. I'm talking Bayer. I'm talking Monsanto. I'm talking Syngenta. Sure. We've got 86 suppliers already at launch that are on our platform that are live and good to go. So we approach them. And the way to think about it, Tommy, is that these guys already have a sales model, almost a salesperson ah. model that's built in. So Kula is so almost like a, sales, a salesperson for them because we don't want to add additional inefficiencies for the farmer. Now the product is more expensive on our platform because we're charging a high fee. We are basically a sales, a digital salesperson for the suppliers. And then we structure a commitment structure with them where we get a percentage on what is sold on the platform. And sure. essentially on the fresh produce marketplace as well, we have a similar model where if we haven't sold your produce, which is a promise that we made to you, then why are we charging you? And similar on the funder dashboard, we don't charge the funders anything to use it. Um, it's completely free. And if you think about the funding portal, right, at the end of the day, the funds get dispersed for the farmers either to buy certain products or to get certain services. So that's the only point where we collect our funds. So we don't charge our partners anything. Um, so in all of our platforms, our principle is we will only charge you once we have delivered the thing that we have promised. And that's sure. our model. Oh, that's a great model because, you know, it makes it easier to get people on board to do stuff. And, you know, you're adding value. It's a, you know, you're a value added reseller basically of these yeah. things. And so when the transactions happen, then you get, you get like a little percentage here or there. And that makes complete sense. Um, okay. So, 
I have some questions about South Africa because I'm not, uh, <laughs> uh, what I know of South Africa is obviously beautiful beaches, great white sharks, and then mm. also amazing safaris. But from what I was picturing from like, you know, document, I've never been, unfortunately, uh, I hope to come, <laughs> but uh, is it's a very dry climate, right? And so how are these farmers getting water to these crops? I, or it, it, correct me if I'm crazy. Maybe it, you know I'm. I'm <laughs> I want to know more. We actually have quite a, a diverse climate here because we're more towards the south. Mm -hmm. um, we we don't have as dry a climate um, because we're more uh, on, on on the southern on the southern part of the continent. Um, we've got fairly good access to water. Uh, oh, farmers good. are able farmers are able to drill boreholes on their farms. Um, and yeah, we've got, I think, fairly decent access to water, but I think there is a global water crisis, which, you know, is not, which South Africa is not excluded from, but we, I think at a global level, our agricultural output is, is fairly strong because also the, our climates are fairly diverse throughout the country. So the, the sure. climate you find in the Northern parts of South Africa is not the climate you find in the Southern parts. And that's why we're able to do avocados, we're able to do grapes, we're able to do, you know, citrus because the different provinces across the country um, experience different climates. And that's what makes us such a strong agricultural uh, player because of the di diverse cli climates that we have across the country. Oh, cool. Okay, see, I'm being educated here. Next question <laughs> I have is, so obviously you guys have some gigantic farms, right? You have a lot of these large, big agro corporate farms that are farming mm. thousands, tens of thousands of uh, you know, acres of land. But then you're really primarily focused on uh, what? What is the average size farm? Are these family farms that you're kind of working with, or are they small corporate farms? Like, kind of break into that a little bit. So I think we we've taken almost a holistic approach. So the way to describe, you know, our partner farm is essentially our user is an agricultural business. So for example, the input marketplace is open to the guy who just started, you know, a one hectare. Um, or a two hectare, or I think you probably speak in acres. Um, yeah. You know, even a guy on a one acre farm can be able to get his fertilizer and he can get his, his seeds on our on our input marketplace. But you will find that when you move over to the fresh produce marketplace, it's it's it's, it's bigger sized farmers because often um, the volumes required by the formal clients they want that consistency. So you find that the average size farmer on the fresh produce side is fairly bigger. So I'm talking fifteen. Um, hectares upwards or 10 hectares upwards because that will allow them to supply consistently um, and allow the customers to basically be happy with them because they can supply them either over the entire season or over a significant portion of that particular season. But in terms of our target market, it really ranges from the guy who just started on a one acre or on a, on a five acre uh, piece of land to a guy who's really further down um, the road. So that's the ecosystem approach is that we're not excluding um, any agricultural business. We want to allow the guy who just started to grow, give them the tools that they need to get to the point where the bigger guys are. And you'd find, Tommy, that, you know, when you're still starting out, uh, particularly in our South African experience, it's the industry is very isolated. So the, the, mm. the, the quality of advice that you receive is limited to the people you know. So you don't, so if, if, if you, let's say you're looking for a, a global gap, um, someone to advise you on global gap. Literally the only way to know is to call your friend. So you're limited to the their knowledge 
or the knowledge of the next person you know. And that's the barrier that we want to break. We want to get the get easier access to the best products and the best services, and it not be limited to um, guys who have been in the industry for longer. Well, yeah, and, and you know, you kind of touch on this earlier as well, like you know, with the with the gap and and some of these different standards, right? Like. Um, as you said, a foodborne illness, like the biggest one is obviously E. coli and like leafy vegetables. That, I mean, that's a killer. I mean, you know, in the U, I mean, that's a killer around the world. Um, and, you know, it's because livestock or animals are going through the crops and death, you know, the, you know, yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff. And so, yeah. you know, if you're a guy that has one acre, you know, you're basically at a subsistence level or one hectare, which by the way, yeah. I looked it up while you were speaking. One hectare is like two point. 2.47 so two and a half acres basically so one yeah. hectare is two and a half acres just if you're looking to do that conversion in your head but yeah yeah but like those are the kinds of things where when you're just starting out like it, and also because you only have one hectare for instance you don't you're not generating the kind of revenue where you might be able to just go out and refence your property all in one you know in one day right because you know, you might not, you have to obviously live by seeds, by chemicals, all those things. So, you yeah. know, projects that get you GAP certified might have to happen over, you know, a series of yeah. seasons to get yeah. yourself there. So then you have to yeah. think to yourself, okay, which then, then you need the consultation from the experts of, well, don't go growing butter lettuce, right? Because uh, you're not in a position like you will kill a bunch of people because your horses and you know whatever maybe some wild animals are out there and they're coming through your farm so we need to put you on <laughs> limes right because exactly. limes have this thick skin that no one's going to eat so you know those yep. are the kinds of like consultation that you need to give these guys so that they can you know do it the right way and over time maybe get from limes to butter lettuce or whatever it is their goal is yep. to a higher profit margin maybe shorter growing season type of crop but they might have to yeah. do it in steps, right? So that, that's really interesting. Precisely, and uh, precisely spot on. Um, I think, and the, the key thing, even for the guy who just started, is that right now, the route to get to become a, a bigger guy is a myth. It's mythical. Like, for example, yeah. the gap services you need. No, they, these guys don't have a real grasp of what it is. You know, you need the right fencing. You need to be storing different kinds of chemicals in separate rooms. So we want yeah. to make that route clear so that even if they are in investing and starting out, they know what does the route from here to where I want to be look like in terms of products, in terms of what I need to buy, in terms of services, what does it look like? And, it, and it's, it's actually quite funny in some cases with guys who are starting out, you know, you find a guy is planting cabbages and you ask him, why are you planting cabbages? It's like everyone here plants cabbages. That's what we yeah. do, you know? Um, and all my grandmother's been planting cabbages ever since. But then you do a soil test and you realize that this land is actually not the best for cabbages. It's actually better sure. for something else. So we want to open that barrier and make bring that accessibility, you know, allowing everybody, whether you just started out or you're five decades in the game, make it yeah. easy for you to access the right support and the right products. Well, and one thing about farmers and agricultural people, and my grandfather had owned a farm at one point, is they are the most... Uh, Right. And they have the most ingenuity of any group of people. Like they, they will, yeah. they will build contraptions out of like yeah. spare parts that they found. And you're like, 
you know, like there was a big problem with sprouts at this one farm up in Oregon here in the US and they kept getting yeah. people sick. And then they, but then the FDA was investigating them and they were like washing these sprouts and like dirty water and like a rusty tub, you know, cause they yeah. had built this contraption to wash the sprouts and it had just become, had gone from something that was supposed to clean the sprouts to basically a bacteria cesspool, you know? And it was this whole thing. And so that's the other thing too, right? Like, especially, you know, farmers are by definition, they're like restaurant people, to be honest with you. They work in yeah. nickels, dimes and quarters, right? Like in the smallest denominations of money because they know their yeah. margins are so tight and there's a lot of stuff out of their control. So yeah, uh, you got to watch these guys because they'll start setting up stuff and you're like, no, 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 no. Like you cannot serve this to human beings. You're basically making cat, cattle feed at this point because you're going to kill a person. So yeah, absolutely. it's good that you, they absolutely. have those resources from you guys. Absolutely, absolutely. Do you get funding from the South African government at all? Like, because they got, I got to believe that they're psyched about this, right? They're pretty excited about it as a model for other countries. Yeah, and also I would assume if it's working well, you know, to yeah. help the country. Yeah, so I think on our side, you know, we, we're very much, again, value-based. So we haven't wanted to go to the government until we've proven, you know, our source <laughs> and actually shown that we can do the thing that we promised to do. So we are now, you know, in, in, in the stages of sort of building out a, a relationship with the government and seeing how we can help aid some of what they're doing. But we're coming from a stronger position now because we have a track record, because now we can show that look yeah. what we've done with this particular segment, look what we've done with these five guys, and look what the impact has been. And we want to show them the evidence, um, and then they can they can jump on. So we are a fairly uh, early stage startup, so hence we yeah. are cultivating that relationship with them at this stage, um, and it will progress and it will evolve. And even then, I don't, I don't, we're not looking for funding for ourselves as a company, but we want to, help them better support the farmer network especially with the first generation guys who are still starting out who really need the support we want to help them better support those guys so not necessarily funding us but actually helping them deploy their services um, and support in a much better much more efficient way well yeah and i mean it, and that that makes a lot of sense if you get in so we're in similar like situations in that we're a technology platform as well we focus mostly on repeatable process. Um, so our, our thing is taking the guesswork out of running the business, right? Um, you got to yeah. do this at this time, that at that time, that at that time. And if you do this successfully, it will positively impact your business. But you know, the hard part is when you're self-funded sort of boot, we call it in the US bootstrapping, bootstrap yeah. startup, right? Um, is that the hardest part is just getting over those first couple of years where you're yep. going from zero to, you know, a little, right? Because no right. one wants to help you until you get to a certain level, right? And then, yep. so it's it's making it from zero to that level. And if you can grind it out, if, if you will, then you get to a point where, okay, now people are willing to help. And actually, then people are throwing money at you. Hey, you know, you couldn't get, yep. You couldn't get 50 cents from your bank, but when you hit X amount in sales, now you got 50 private equity funds going, hey, let me give you 10 million, you know? Um, <laughs> but it's the same thing, you don't wanna, you don't wanna be stuck, but it, it, and the way your model is set up, it makes complete sense. If you can yeah. just get successful farmers happening, then X percent of that money is going to flow into, uh, through, the, through the different 
through the different portals, the transactions, right? So, okay. you know, that's where you'll get paid. It's like Amazon, they don't charge you. They charge you to like store your product and ship it for you. They don't charge you really to, they a very small fee to sell, but, but you know, they're not like, they do it because they know that the volume's there, right? That over time, yeah. if we keep, uh, if we build a robust marketplace, then exactly. the transactional fees will add up and we'll make a fortune. So really cool. Um, also, exactly. I wanted to point out too, that I've been, I've interviewed, we've been, you know, a lot of interviews in the last couple of months. It's been wonderful. I've really enjoyed it. But so many of the founders, especially uh, in the food business, met their co-partners at college or in university. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what's and so and, you know, like there's a big argument in the U.S. with student loans and colleges because, you know, I think the government wants to like pay off everybody's student loans. And then like the people who paid off their student loans are like, hell no. I had to pay mine off, they have to pay theirs off, you know? Don't go and get a, a social work degree from like a, you know, $100,000 a year private university and then be sad that you have $500,000 in debt, you know? Like that's yeah. on you, make better decisions, right? Like you, not everyone can be an artist. So, uh, but that should be the marketing point for business school, because it never is, right? I have an MBA, they never, they never market on, you know, they always market on, you know, this program here and this great professor when really it should be the guy you're going to be in business with for the rest of your life is at this is going to be with you at school. So why don't you go <laughs> meet that guy now and then use yeah. the school to test out your business idea so that when you can hit the ground running and that's yeah. that should literally be the marketing campaign, because yeah. I mean, uh, you know. I mean, I have my current business partner today because of one of the guys I went to grad school with introduced me to him. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. All right, cool. We're going to question number two. Oh, sorry. Go on. I cut you off. <laughs> no worries. No, you can move on to question number two. But uh, yeah, you're making some good points. <laughs> I'm a genius, Chris. I, I think you'll realize that by the end of this whole thing. Uh, I'm so All right. I'm we'll check. Back. We'll check again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what is the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? Yeah, so the big thing right now, uh, I think I've spoken to it, is the input marketplace. So we're doing a national rollout. Um, so we are, it's part of this podcast is actually part of a, a series of podcasts that we're doing. We're doing radio, we're doing national TV. Um, nice. We released it on the iOS store um, and all the other ones. I think now there's a Huawei uh, gallery as well. Um, so we've released it, um, and yeah, and we're pushing it uh, quite hard. So our whole model and our whole approach was to heavily test. So we were in a three-year pilot, and we oh, heavily wow. tested. And each feature, I can literally point to each feature um, and tell you how it came about and through what experience. So the product that we have right now has been heavily tested with real users, and we put it out there. Like I said, we've got 86 suppliers. Um, you know, we've got over 3,000 uh, different products listed, you know, ranging from infrastructure, animal health, chemicals across the board. Um, and that's the real big thing that we, we're pushing now, which we really think is going to change the landscape, especially for the emerging guys, because there's such a huge disconnect when you're starting out um, or when you're trying to figure out how to access markets, you know. And because of this disconnect, you're finding that farmers are having to be more than farmers. They're having to be marketing people. They're having oh, yeah. to be technical people. You know what I mean? Because because the disconnect is so huge. So we want to 
connect easily connect into these services so that we allow the farmers to be farmers you know and i think one of the big issues is that you know the reason part of the reason why you make agriculture grow you know you, you spoke about the the tiny margins and so forth is that we need to figure out how we make agriculture you know a viable um career path or a, a, vi a viable business proposition even for younger people and by connecting the industry better more efficiently you're able to remove a lot of the middlemen that capture a lot of the value uh, or a lot of the financial benefit without adding too much into the picture so the input yeah. marketplace is the main thing that we've just uh, released now and we're super excited we're rolling it out the feedback we're getting from farmers is absolutely has been positive you know we're allowing we're allowing them to compare quotations you know something as simple as comparing quotations you know you have to call uh bayer and say hey um give me a coat call another supplier and say hey give me a coat you know and then they don't pick up the call and you call them later or they don't respond to your email so on our system you can easily get different quotations compare those quotations easily check out with those quotations and we geolocate your farm we can literally deliver to you you can almost think of it you know as an amazon but that's particularly you know for for agriculture allowing them to get the products much easier in a much quicker uh format and i think the idea is that if you look at the food value chain, you know where your 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 you know where, where, where agricultural products start from and where they end, the biggest loser in the chain or the 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 player that prop, uh, that usually gets you know the least value is the farmer, and the farmer takes all of the risk. They take the risk of planting, they take the risk of hail, you know they take yeah. so much risk of what the price is going to be. But the current model, and not just in South Africa, across the world, is that the farmer is often the loser in the chain you know and we're trying yeah. to allow the industry to operate in such a way where value you know where financial gain is linked with value you know and and, and that's what we're really going towards yeah that's really interesting too i, I wonder do you guys have uh, i'm going to use an acronym here uh, lms or learning management system or uh, an operations management system because yeah, so much of this stuff too is training that's probably available on YouTube, but you also just need to curate it, right? Because what's, yeah. so I don't know if that's a part of your thing, but it would be interesting if it was, but you're right. What's happened in the world though, too, is with technology, um, you know, it used to be that you needed a distributor, right? Um, and, and you paid them quite a handsome cut of the money or they made a lot of money on you, but they did all that stuff for you now the distributors uh you know now the game's changed and it's like yeah the farmer used to just be a farmer and he just focused on farming but now the farmer's also got to be a digital marketer and uh you know a supply chain guy and a transportation guy and, you know <laughs> exactly. and it's it's tough uh to do all that and do it well right and so that's another thing is you know do you outsource it and give up some of the money or do you you know take it all on and then now you you work in the farm eight hours a day and then you spend six hours at night doing all the other stuff so uh yeah it's an interesting proposition cool um what is the one thing in the industry and i'll say the agricultural industry i guess would be uh or your business that's keeping you up at night i think uh the one thing that's keeping me up at night i think i i want to i want get the industry um, to a place where, you know, where value, and it sounds like it might sound a bit too philosophical, but where value is, is fairly rewarded, you know? And I think right now, 
the disconnect across the industries that you know value is not uh, necessarily being fairly rewarded throughout the value chain um, and you know we have sort of a tagline that we always talk about in the office where we say you know we want to get great food anywhere and at, at first glance it really sounds like a restauranty statement but our concept of great food you know uh, Tommy is, is imagine if you could taste uh, you know, when we talk about an A-grade apple, like a really nice yeah. apple, and you see, you know, and then we say it's A-grade, but if you could taste the value chain, you know, if you could taste, you know, the experience of the farmer, you know, that planted that apple, if you could taste the experience of the different role players when you're sitting in a restaurant and you're putting fork um, into food and you're putting it into your mouth, if you could taste it, if you could taste the experience of the different role players, at this current moment, it would be quite sour, you know, and, and we want to raise the bar where it's not just an A-grade apple, you know, if the farmer or if in the value chain, people are not being paid fairly, you know, if, if, if there's child labor, you know, if there's all sorts of things where, you know, uh, there's, there's mistreatment across the value chain, we want to bring in a higher standard um, where when we speak of great food, it's food where you can taste the value chain. You know, and so that not just the actual taste of the food, but the experience of the different role players, the efficiency of the supply chain makes sense. You know, and that's the thing that's keeping us up. And that's the vision that we're driving towards. We want to get, you know, if you look at, for example, the the the, uh, the cocoa industry, if you look at, you know, the, the chicken industry, you know, there's a lot yeah. of problems that we're all turning a blind eye towards, you know, and just because my chicken tastes great, <laughs> You know, yeah. and, and it's nice and it's, you know, it's, it's Kentucky and I don't really care, you know, what happened in the value chain, but we want to raise a higher standard where we're asking the public to really say, if you could taste the experience of that chicken farmer, the experience of the cocoa farmer in the chain, and not just the farmer, but the different role players, how would your chocolate really taste? And that's the question that's keeping us up. Sure. Yeah, it is, uh, yes. It's so interesting because the trade-offs, I mean, you know, I think of anything that what's uh, come out of the last like 10 or 20 years, just I guess as social awareness has risen and the internet's risen is, you know, back in the 1950s, no one cared where the chicken poop went. You know, that was the chicken farmer's <laughs> guy. And it, you know, I yeah, I grew up in Maryland, uh, which is on the East coast of the US uh, by Washington DC. And, um, yeah. You know, Purdue, which is the bald guy who sold all the chickens here, you know. Uh, and uh, anyway, he had all these chicken farms, and then all the waste was like leaking into the Chesapeake Bay, which is his big freshwater estuary uh, by DC and, you know, in that area. And, um, yep. you know, all this E. coli was getting into the water for a while. And, um, and I mean, I, I'm not, and also like, you know, I live in Colorado. We have big, a lot of meat out here, like a big red beef, you know, cattle, uh, your processing is north of here and whatnot. And I mean, I think that the companies are, you know, I mean, there's good players and bad players everywhere, right? People cutting corners, other people doing the right things. Yeah. Um, and so it, it is interesting. Yeah. It, I mean, all these things are so interesting and there's no easy answer for them, right? Like, yeah. okay, well, we can make everything organic, but then we can triple the price of it and there'll be a lot less yield and there'll be a lot more waste, right? Or, you know, Actually, I have a question for you. So you mentioned yeah. Monsanto and Sargenta. So there's a lot of controversy about those seeds, right? Like, are they good? Are they bad? 
you know, they get you locked in, do they kill the land, blah, 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 blah. How do you feel about yeah. them? I mean, have you done research on them? What do you, what do you know? Yeah, so I think, you know, on our side, you know, our position is really the position of a software company. Um, I think a lot, you know, in history, a lot of decisions have been made for farmers um, up front. I think we want to give them access. So we don't, we're not necessarily deciding for them up front. You know, you might speak to one player in the industry and they'll tell you they're completely organic, you know, and, and yeah. they don't believe in the chemicals and they don't believe in all of that. You know what I mean? And you might get someone else on the other side who says, but there's no, you know, empirical evidence that says um, that the chemicals destroy or whatnot, you know? Yeah. But I think we're really building a system that can allow both players, you know, the organic guy sure. to access the organic products that he needs, you know, in a much easier way, to access the organic product buyers in a much easier way. Um, and even on the, on the other side, on the mass production side, where the guys are operating at scale, and they have to use a certain level of chemicals to control weeds, to control sure. pests and so forth. Um, we want to allow both parties to give access. So we don't necessarily take um, a strong position um, and enforce it upon the industry. We see ourselves as adding efficiency. So we don't want to duplicate what anyone else in the industry is already doing. So we don't sell seeds. We don't buy, we're not sure. buyers of produce per se. We want to allow the different yeah. And I think even there, we facilitate it. So even there, the, you know, the, the different um, agricultural associations need to have those conversations. You know, the different players, yeah. um, the government and so forth. But we want to enable the trade to happen in a much easier and a much better way. So we don't necessarily come in with a predetermined position, but we want to facilitate and give the tools to the role players um, to action, to action out. Because yeah. food is so, is so important. You know, you think about food. Food is not optional. We don't decide. <laughs> you, don't exactly. you don't unsubscribe from food, you know. And <laughs> you look at food wastage, Tommy. It's 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 insane. You know, if the amount of hunger we have versus the amount of food wastage, it's absolutely insane. You know, so we want to help get closer, get the food to the right places, get it closer. But we're a facilitator at the end of the day. Yeah. No, I totally I get it. And you know what? Like once again, there are no easy answers and. The fact is, is that you can make a case for both sides. And the best thing to do uh, is to allow the invisible hand of, of capitalism to work. And when you go into the grocery store or you're the chef at a restaurant, you will determine if it's okay, if it's Monsanto corn or it's organic corn. And you might use both in the same day, but in two yeah. different ways. You might use the cheaper, uh, you know, mass produced corn for your corn soup. And you might use the organic corn to sprinkle on top as a garnish for, you know, whatever the dish might be. And that's okay, right? Like it's all, yeah, there are, yeah, just let the, let the, let people figure it out for themselves should be the general rule of all economic decisions. People, Precisely. they will make their own value judgment about what they care about. Precisely. Precisely. Um, question number four. What is it that you thought your industry would be doing right now that it isn't? I think in the South African context, I'd say we're quite a number of years behind. And I think it's not just in an essay context. You know, things like, you know, you take for granted things like, uh, you know, like being able to get your food easily on Uber Eats. You know, as a consumer living in the city, that's so normal, you know, like at my place. Yeah. If I'm, if I'm to get a cleaner to come and clean, there's an app for that. You know, I don't even do my groceries. Just 
go on an app and I load them on a basket and someone shows up at my door and delivers yeah. them. You know, but in agriculture, it's the industry that actually led innovation in the beginning. You know, if you go into the history of humanity, a lot of um, innovations actually came from you know farmers trying to get better yields and so forth. But in this new age, in this new digital age, we're actually trailing behind. You know, a lot of things are too manual, and I think that's the one thing about the industry is that there's a lot of manual processes. I think there's a lot being, that's been done from a production perspective. There's a lot of really cool stuff that's being done with drones. You know, that's been done with you know plants actually talking um, to the to the to the sprinklers or irrigation to say I need water now, and then the irrigation sure. water the plants. You know, but from uh, it's almost a digital or a, a shared a shared economy perspective. The industry is actually far behind. It's too manual, which doesn't make sense when you look at the volumes and the value per user or the value per trade. You know, a far farmers buy in bulk. You know, I buy one burger at a time. You know, <laughs> on a food delivery yeah. app, but farmers actually buy in bulk. So it's actually quite insane that farmers are still going through the process of buying their produce or I mean, of buying the inputs and selling their produce in a manual way where they're manually calling, manually sure. emailing. So I think that's the big part where the industry is fairly, uh, fairly behind. And it's quite ironic because this is the industry that actually drove a lot of innovation in the early days. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting because, and we, and we deal with this too, because we, we primarily deal in hospitality and food and food, uh, also food production as well. But um, is, you know, there's, you know, there's a certain amount of automation to take place and you touch on some great things like IOT and using like humidity sensors in the ground and being able to yeah. go, okay, this ground's too dry, kick the sprinkler on. But then also more importantly, being able to turn it off when it's fine, you know? So, mm -hmm. so much in the past, someone turned it on and then went and had dinner and, and you know, then they watched <laughs> a couple TV shows and then all of a sudden six hours later, like, oh crap, the sprinkler's on, you know? And then like the food now you're like, you've wasted a ton of water you know, and electricity that you didn't need to do type of thing. So yeah, those things are really cool. But I think we're in an interesting time frame where it's, you know, how much automation can we really do? And does it make sense to do it? And, you know, finding that happy balance as well between, well, you know, somebody's got to go out here and do this. Like someone's got to go look at this manually. Like, you know what I mean? That has to yeah. happen like in, in this growing process. But then yeah. how can I automate other parts of it, right? Like, like I don't know that you'll ever be able to automate a hotel room being fully clean. There are things you can do for sure. Yeah, You can put some UV yeah. lights in there, you know, but like someone's got to wipe the toilet down. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like you're not going to yeah. build a robot that just wipes toilets down and that's all it does all day because that robot is going to cost you $10,000 and it's going to give you like, you know, um, yeah, the, the payback period is going to be 60 years. So yeah. But like other things, making beds, you know, stuff like that. Just have that person do. There's certain parts of farming, certain parts of cooking where automation makes sense, and that. And it is kind of an exciting time to be a part of it to see, you know, where are the really creative people coming up with the creative solutions to automate those key parts out, right? And and what's the value prop there? So, but I get what you're saying, yeah. Because I mean, restaurants are the same way. They keep talking about these robots in restaurants, and I'm like. I can see them in a couple of places, you know, for sure. Yeah. Working the grill on steakhouse. Yeah, why not? Laser temperature <laughs> thing, knows every knows every steak, knows the cooking times. But then other things are like, 
is a robot really going to be able to like, you know, make a nice, pretty looking salad? Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Caritas, we're at yeah. the last question, man. Um, give me a awesome. war story. Give, give me a cringeworthy, funny, I can't believe this happened to us. We got through it. Story. Could be anything. And you don't have to mention names of companies or anything, but I want like a good, like, oh my gosh, this was the worst. And, you know, whatever, we got through it somehow type of story. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Yo, I have a, yeah, I have a ton of those. Eh? <laughs> I have a ton of those. I think uh, the one story that's always inspiring is, you know, where we started, you know, because we don't come from the industry. So we started doing things manually. So um, initially, you know, we needed to convince the first uh, supermarket to actually buy from our first farmer. You know, and I remember um, I, I went to, to this guy at the supermarket and I'm like, no, you need to buy from this farmer. And they kept chasing me away because they have this big, you know, system where you have to be onboarded and you have to be registered. And but this guy sure. was selling really, really crappy spinach. And I kept coming back. I'm like, you know, please, please, please. And the guy said no. And I could see the spinach on his floor was, was really crappy. So then what I did was um, so. I went to the farmer and I took about eight bunches of spinach. And I just said, you know what, Marin, take the spinach. It's free. Just take it and put it on your shelf. I'm giving it to you for free. And by the time I was 20 minutes driving out uh, from that place, he gave me a call and he said, my man, I need a 500 of these uh, by tomorrow. Now, the tricky, <laughs> part <is> that, <laughs> the tricky part is that these guys often have big trucks that deliver. And we had no truck. So all we had was a very tiny VW Polo. So what we would do is that we would take the Polo, which is a, a normal car, and then we would recline the back seats because we'd have to move the spinach from the farm to that first client. So we would recline the back seat and then turn the aircon on, on that particular Polo. So you'd have this car full of spinach and us wearing big jackets and completely cold in the car to go and deliver to the supermarket. But then we didn't want them to see that we're in a Polo <laughs> because they would, have, they, would have issues, they would have issues with that. So we oh, would yeah. park behind a bigger truck and then get the trolley. So the way we, the guy would stand at the door. So each time we would come, it would look like we're pushing the trolley from the big truck, whereas actually we're offloading from a, <laughs> a tiny polo um, on the other side, you know, and that's, that's the sort of the bootstrapping uh, days yeah. where we were literally delivering off the back of VW Polo. And from those deliveries, we were able to buy a much bigger uh, refrigerated truck where we started doing delivery. But this whole time, these guys had absolutely no idea that we've been delivering from the back of a VW Polo. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> that is a great story. Uh, there's, a, there's a great book you should read uh, if you listen to books on Audible or whatever called uh, Freedom's Forge. And it's, yeah. about the, it's about the guy, he was the president of Chevy back in World War II yeah. in the US. And, yeah. and the, government, you know, the government wanted to privatize everything and, uh, and and this guy went in, they called this guy up, like Franklin Delano Roosevelt called this guy up and they said, hey man, I'm getting all this, they want to privatize everything so we can start stocking up for World War II to help the English, help ourselves. You know, we know we're gonna get dragged into this thing. And, uh, and it's all about how this guy's like, no, just give me 18 months to retool the country and I will produce everything you need from the private industry thing. But it's a, it, that book is filled like your story would have made it into that book because like <laughs> they're talking about this guy, like Henry Kaiser, who uh, Kaiser Permanente is a huge 
healthcare thing out here. But he was the guy, he was building the boats that were bringing, you know, the supplies that he got it down to like 80 hours or something to build one of these boats that would bring supplies from America to England. And, you know, there's a story of him jumping off of a moving train to go get a contract. And that's what that sounded like. Your story reminded me of that guy, you know, just a <laughs> no, I mean, crazy guy. Know, <laughs> in the early days, I mean, we couldn't even, um, we ran out of money and we couldn't even afford to pay rent. <laughs> yeah. So we were, were literally hiding from our landlord. Um, oh. And we would always come into the apartment late in the evening and leave early in the morning so that he wouldn't be able to find <laughs> us, you know. And a funny moment happened where we actually went and we, you know, we, we read up on landlord tenant law in South Africa. And we realized that actually the guy can't kick us out. If he kicks us out, he has to find us a place to stay. So there's one morning he rocks up and he finds us with the door open and he's sitting on the couch. And we literally looked at him and he said, my man, where's our home? <laughs> Tell us where we're going. <laughs> Tell us where we're going, you know? And yeah, I think we lived four months there without paying because he couldn't find us an alternative home. But it sucks for him, but it's just one of those early bootstrap stories where, you know, we had to do what we, what we needed to do at the time. Oh, I did. I know. Trust me. You know, it took <laughs> us, uh, I, yeah, we'll talk about it offline, but yeah, it was bootstrapping is a very, it's not for, it's not for the faint of heart. You have to be creative and you got to have a lot of grit. And there are times where it looks like this is never gonna, it's never gonna work. What am I doing? I could go get paid so much more money somewhere else. Why am I putting myself through this? And if you just can hold on, yeah, hopefully it eventually will pay off, but uh, it is Absolutely. hard work. Absolutely. Well, Chris, do you got you want to plug the website? I'm going to put it in the show notes uh, for Kula, but do you want to plug anything right now uh, for the listeners? Yeah, definitely. Uh, just go on any of the App Store, Huawei, um, Android, um, Apple. Just search Kula Inputs. You can browse around our Inputs app if you're a farmer. We're currently in South Africa. Um, if any, if you have any South African listeners, they can purchase what they need on that particular app. But you can also go to our website. It's www.kula.co.za, www.khula.co.za. Even a Google search um, or even a search on YouTube will show you some videos of our story. Um, and we're actually setting up a YouTube channel soon where actually a lot, a lot of our content will be, leave, will be living on there. So, yeah, absolutely excited, man. And this was a really good conversation. Um, just getting a view also that's, you know, not necessarily a South African view. So it's, uh, yeah, it's always good. And I think we live in a global world these days. You know, we don't live with barriers. We live in one sort of globalized um, world. And I think we've built the platform with a global view. And we have um, high ambitions for taking this to a, a global environment. Oh, absolutely. And it was just a pleasure to meet you. And uh and to have this wonderful conversation today. And I want to thank all the Order Up Show podcast listeners for tuning in and checking us out. And uh, we'll be back with more interviews soon. Take care, Caritas. Cheers, dummy. Cheers. <laughs>